Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. We are on a roll lately. This is, uh, I think, the third episode in a week and a half or two weeks that Mike and I are recording. Still in my uh, backyard on the patio. I'm rather homebound. Mike was kind enough to come. Peter and Ben are predictably uh, working, but we're hoping to get them on soon. We have been working on planning out some episodes for the near future, too, and we're excited about those. But happy to be back in the flow of things. An episode dropped today, and we're hoping to get back to an episode every Tuesday and then hopefully recording Winging It. We are a uh, privilege to be a member of the 1517 Podcasting Network. Encourage you to check that out. The website has a lot of new, um, very accessible stuff as well. If you go to 1517.org, so encourage you to do that. And I believe last we heard, although that may not be the case by the time this episode drops, there were still a handful of um, spots still available for the Here We Still Stand conference. Today we're going to be talking about saints, um, how have people understood what it is to be a saint throughout time, um, where did the idea of saints develop, uh, why do Lutherans have churches named after saints but we don't make any new saints, um, why don't we have as many saint days as the Roman Catholics or the Eastern Orthodox, but we still have uh, some minor festivals you might have noticed if you're a Lutheran in your church. Um, and then kind of, how do people think of saints today? You know, you say to someone, so-and-so is a real saint. Uh, what do you take away as being the meaning of that? And then ultimately, what is the, the biblical meaning? Uh, what makes one a saint who is a saint? Uh, Sophie will be kind enough to do our disclaimer for us. She also thought of our free-for-all topic, so we'll see if she's able to introduce that right after this break. But why don't you give us our disclaimer, Sophie? This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, most of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud, a lot, so approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism. Because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us be in the way. We're back for our free-for-all. And what is that free-for-all, Sophia? Um, we are doing our favorite Bible character and which Bible character we are most like. Okay, so do you want to start or do you want me to start? You start. Well, okay. ground rules first. Can we answer Jesus? No. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of cheating to say your favorite Bible character is Jesus. Or that you're most like Jesus because his righteousness but covers. But I'm most like Jesus. <laughs> I never sin. Out of us three? I never sin. Yeah. Um, you sure about that? Yeah. Yeah. You know enough to know that that's a joke. Um, but you are because you are a saint, which will be a good segue into our main topic. So I'll go first. Um, most intriguing Bible story from the Old Testament for me is the Tower of Babel, because I find it fascinating that uh, the Holy Trinity kind of says to each other, look what we did. Not not so much look what we did, but look what these people can do and and shows the quite big potential that humans have for messing things up 
right? And that always has intrigued me that uh, our potential for evil um, is very great. And we talked about this, I think, in a previous podcast or maybe off, off the air a little bit, but that the great atrocities that happened in the history of the world were carried out not by these uh, tyrants, but by regular people, right? And how can we get to that point? And, but also, I, sometimes we don't always appreciate um, the pet capacity we do have for love um, and for good things. And so that's, that's kind of my, that's my big one. Um, I really like in the New Testament, the ascension. I think that's an underrated, maybe that's because of my time as a pastor, that was an underrated festival. And I think of the four kind of promises that God gives in or around the ascension that um, he will be with us to the very end of the age. He will send the spirit to teach us all things um, that uh, he's preparing a place in heaven for us and that he's going to come back and get us. So that one, that one always gets me. Those are my two stories. Are we supposed to do characters, aren't we? Character you're most okay. like character i most like besides uh jesus since i am like him because i'm a saint covered in his blood sophia shaking her head um boy that's a tough one i don't know can i come back to that because i think you already got something going on what do you what do you think sophia uh i don't know my favorite bible lesson uh hmm. there's two that get me mad Okay, so it's called Doubting Thomas, but he's less doubting than the other disciples. How because, so? Because, like, all he had to do was, like, see the wounds and feel them. Well, the disciples, like, they had him do all that stuff. You know, that's a good point because sometimes we say, Jesus then says, um, you know, blessed are they who do not see. And yet we have it written down in the Bible, right? I mean, we have more, you could make an argument we have more evidence than Thomas, right? Yeah. I'm good. No, what was your other one that gets you mad? No, it's just the two stories because it's doubting gotcha. Thomas, but it's not doubting disciples. Okay, what? Uh. Gotcha. What character um, is your favorite, or what character are you most like? Hmm. I don't know. Do you want to come back to that? Should we come back to you? Probably Peter, because I don't think very much before I say something. You know, that's 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 good self-awareness, Sophia. I just go off. <laughs> you have on the podcast sometimes. <laughs> it's charming, I think. It's charming at this age, anyway. That's why. That's why. Um, Dad has to say, because <laughs> whenever I smile, he has to be like, make sure it's not inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Wade. Um. I'm assuming we can't go with like Jesus dying and rising as our favorite lesson. And I think most people know my favorite chapter is Mark 5, so I'll stay away from that. And I'll say I think my favorite Bible lesson then would be Ehud and Eglon um, from the book of Judges where um, Eglon is the fat Moabite king um, and they are oppressing the Israelites. And Ehud is sent, he's left-handed, um, to say he's got a present for Eglon. Um, and he says, I also have a message to tell you in secret. So they go into Eglon's chamber. And Ehud uh, surprises him being left-handed, takes out his dagger, and uh, stabs him in the gut and gets his inside so that it smells foul, so that Eglon's uh, servants think he is using the restroom. And Ehud escapes and presumably blows the shofar, and the Israel's, Israelites rise up and are delivered. I think that. Um, and then also uh, the bears eating the children for mocking uh, <laughs> That's mocking Elijah or Ezekiel? Elisha. Elisha for 
Elisha, that's right. right, for being bald. That would also be um, a favorite. I think Bible character I'd be most like. I didn't get to think about this a lot, but I'd maybe go with Gideon um, in the Old Testament, kind of reluctant to want to do stuff, like can't someone else handle this? But then also, you know, when uh, when God's like, well, we'll see who laps water like a dog or, um, you know, drinks it however way, and that's who will take into battle. And the numbers of people going into battle with him keep getting lower, and he's kind of like, you know, God, the odds kind of mm-hmm. are better the more people we have. Uh, I kind of go with uh, Gideon, kind of unremarkable in himself, but uh, seems to be a little sarcastic um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, kind of reluctant, but there, so... Of course, of course. I would have gone for you for Elisha, like kind of cranky, bald. Uh, don't suffer. You don't suffer fools very well. Yeah, that could have been. Could have been. been. That could have been one. Um, what do you got, Sophia? I don't know. You don't know. Just of course, your favorite lessons are ones where people are extremely suffering. <laughs> I mean, all of them. People are suffering, but like. Especially the first story. Yeah, your, your dad <laughs> so is. A, like it's a story cool. of deliverance. It's a happy story. <laughs> your dad is a character, isn't he? How is he happy? Because they defeated the Moabites. <laughs> <laughs> You've never been there when the Moabites have been defeated. It's a party. Sophia has an incredulous look on okay, her face. Okay, I know you're old, but you're not that old. Yeah, but there was this one time <laughs> we were uh, went to a Lions game and there were some Moabites. We got in a fight. <laughs> we won. It was. Really There's exciting. no way if they had you on your side, on their <laughs> side. <laughs> That's the problem with the story. Yeah. So, did you figure out what character you are like? I already said Peter. Oh, that's right. You're Peter. Mike I forgot Trevor. about that. I don't know. Maybe was it was it Philip that came to Jesus and said, we, "There's no way we we don't have enough bread and fish. All we have is this." That'd be yeah. something I would say. Be like, you know, we, this, you know, did did somebody not plan ahead? Let's just go to Hardee's. That would be my yeah. thing. Where I'd be like. We should have planned ahead. I told you to plan ahead. You say that I, to me. I wanted to be organized, yeah. and nobody was organized, and you make fun of me for being organized yeah. and planning ahead, and look now what happened. Now it sounds like we're in the Telegram group with me, you, Peter, and Ben. Yeah, so I think that's probably Philip the uh, Apostle, I'm most like. Well, uh, good free-for-all topic, Sophie. You nailed it. Uh, with that, I guess we can make our way to the main topic. topic today is going to be saints and there's a lot of different directions we can go on that we can talk about it more like an adjective that person is saintly and we kind of mean by that that they don't get in trouble and are kind and not judgmental or something like that Um, in the church um, there is the specific meaning of being holy being set apart what does that mean what does it mean to be a part of the the royal priesthood of all believers. Um, St. Paul often addresses uh, people with his letters, a group as um, the saints. Um, Ephesians 1.1 uh, comes to mind, or that first 
portion of Ephesians. Um, but then we also have this thing where we call we call our churches um, Saint So and So, or uh, or we have this thing specifically in the Roman Catholic Church where we have uh, uh, people who are designated as saints. So clearly the apostles would be saints, but then also um, adding people like uh, St. Uh, Augustine. There you go, Wade. I said it your way. Um, St. Jerome or something like that. How does one become a saint? And we can maybe talk uh, just briefly about the details of that. And then for, uh, let's say, you know, Protestant Christians, we will still use those terms. I mean, we have no problem saying, you know, St. Gregory the Great or whatever like that. And what do we mean by that? Um, are we being Roman Catholic in that way? Do we really believe that they performed miracles and are in the same way that a Roman Catholic would look, look at those saints? Where's the, where's the limit? As you said in the introduction, why don't uh, Lutherans and Reformed make new saints? What's the designation? Maybe we can even get into the designation of patriarch um, or, or uh, something else, prophet. In the Old Testament, we don't call them saints even though they are. So there's well, a even in Lutheranism, you know, a lot of people might go to campuses of Lutheran colleges or to Lutheran churches and you see pictures of Luther, maybe even bronze statues of Luther, and people might think, wow, you're treating him like a saint, but why is the Lutheran church not talk about mm -hmm. a St. Martin Luther or a mm -hmm. St. Philip Melanchthon? Mm -hmm. Even though we will um, do things that may look to others, like like these people are deserving of our memory um, and we're very important servants of God. Yeah, so there's a lot to go there, and um, maybe I'll start it off with just the idea of holy ones and saints. Um, uh, some Bible translations will keep that that word saint, which I would I would like because that spurs on discussion. What is a mm -hmm. saint instead of instead of holy ones? What is that? That can be even more confusing. I think um, you still have to explain something. Holy means set apart. What does it mean? Um, so we often talk, of course, theologically as being saints and sinners. So um, I'm a sinner, 100% sinner, uh, with a bound will born with a, um, an inclination towards evil and hatred and distrust of God. But because of Christ and his righteousness, I am right with God. I am holy, set apart for heaven, but also for work here on earth, and quite frankly, a saint, right? I am sinless in the eyes of God. And so I'm a, a sinner saint. And so that's the way St. Paul uses that when he says, I, St. Paul, an apostle, am writing to you the saints in Ephesus, right? And and don't be, uh, you know, you don't have to go a few verses to figure out that they're not that saintly, right? right? Because um, I'm, you know, disturbed to hear about this and that, and that has happened in your congregation. And so um, definitely St. Paul is meaning uh, saint and sinner there. And, and the translating it, holy ones, okay. Um, but I, I guess I think both of us would very much prefer that saint. So anything on that way, the, the, the theological saint. No, I mean, I think that notion comes up a lot early in Paul's letters. He, he loves to say to the saints of God at, or in the case of Corinthians, he says to, the, to those who are called to be saints. And then you read Corinthians and you go, wait a second, like mm -hmm. these people, they've got issues. Um, but that comes up in his epistles just left and right, saint, 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 saint. Um, and applied to people to whom he's writing because there are issues. You know, they're not, from our perspective, particularly holy people. You read the epistles and you go, they were just like us. I mean, Paul was not immune to having to deal with real-world problems. The whole reason for the epistles is the same stuff that 
people deal with in parishes or, or communities today. And if you and if you're not acquainted with, well, I'm teaching Pauline epistles here, and and maybe the the average Christian has these verses memorized from Romans or First Corinthians, or the person who doesn't have any inclination or, or to read the scriptures and never has, they're kind of profound to how like gritty gritty it is how like real life it is like i was thinking about something profound here now they're they're sinners like yeah. you and, and me and it's like it's almost the opposite it's profane yeah very profane and I, I i am like you too that i am not a fan of dropping the saint in the translations of the new testament um i think you know there's something powerful um at the time of the reformation but still in our own day when you have a world that, for the most part, when we use saint, people mean someone who is, um, their virtue is super clear or it's well known. Um, you know, there's hagiographies of them, you know, uh, exalted biographies. And, uh, and that Paul uses this term for average Christians is important. But then if we could just imagine the impact of that in Luther's day, too, when he looks out at his congregation who had grown up with a, a saint for every situation— um, and, and being a saint was something you didn't even aspire to because it was beyond most people. Um, surely the married, married lady, the odds were very low. And uh, and he says, you are the saints of God. And he turns uh, medieval piety on its head. So I think there's something very helpful in that. And I, I hate to see it, it go its way. Yeah, and I, I like it's a title, right? I mean, yep. it, at least in English, it comes across as a title, the saints of God. Right. Um, there's, a, there's an article there. Um, hopefully Ohio State doesn't, you know, this allows Copyright us to use the word the there yeah. in those situations. Um, yeah, so that's very good. Um, so uh, maybe we can talk, talk about then um, maybe just the typical Roman Catholic way of viewing uh, the saints. So I'm thinking maybe even just a couple of minutes, Mike, if we take the kind of the development of the concept in Christianity. Sure, go ahead. Um, you know, you have now there's all kinds of narratives for how this came about. And there's always an element of speculation, but I think it's safe to say um, you had, after the death of the apostles, a certain bit of a, a, a vacuum. I mean, the apostles were um, a special uh, class of people, if I can use that, or a special kind of people. Um, they had unique calls to every church. That's something different than a, a minister or a pastor has today. They're called to a specific congregation. Um, but then you also had this time of persecution that developed. And it became um, custom, a lot of places, to visit the graves of martyrs on the anniversaries of their death, which is, a, I think, a wholesome and salutary thing to do. Uh, we do many things like that today, still with loved ones. Maybe you go to the cemetery, mm -hmm. visit their grave site, um, put down a grave blanket or some flowers. Uh, but this then, over time, you had kind of built into at least the local church's calendar, but then also more broadly, uh, these days became recognized. You also then had, as persecution somewhat subsided and then Constantine comes to power, and if you go back to the Winging It series on church history, there's there's a Winging It session on this, but um, as you have people more people coming into the church that can be catechized, as it sort of became, uh, uh, if not outright advantageous, it at least became stylish maybe, to be a Christian, as it became not only illegal, but perhaps a favored religion, you had people coming in who brought with them uh, the old religion. And we see this still today, and missionaries go to places, and there's a certain level of syncretism that will develop. 
um, the old religion will find its way into the new religion. I mean, in North America, um, there's all kinds of instances of this. Maybe one of the most well-known would be Our Lady of Guadalupe, who has mm -hmm. aspects of pre-Christian religion as well. And some nationalism attached to it. Right. But in the, in the, in the Roman world, and to, in the Greek world too, but especially in the Roman world, the role of gods and goddesses was especially one of um, patronage. And uh, it's one that, um, I mean, the whole society was really built on patronage, and Peter Brown is good on this. But the idea of gods or goddesses were to be patrons. You had certain ones that you went to and certain needs, and they were there to help you out. And in re return for them helping you out, you showed them devotion. And we see this begin to make its way into the church. Um, also, as battles about Christology developed, who is Jesus Christ, um, you began to have uh, an emphasis on the virgin birth and that Christ was true God. So Mary is Theotokos. She's the God-bearer, not just Christotokos, that she gave birth to Christ. Well, this leads to more and more um, art and imagery in the church, and especially imagery centered in the Virgin Mary, as oftentimes she would be pictured holding the infant Christ, or even drawings of um, Christ as God in her womb. You know, I mean, for the time that you look at them now and they maybe look a little crude. Mm -hmm. <coughs> um, but uh, this emphasis on Christology, well, as these images make their way into the church, they also then more and more gets associated with these people, of, of the images of which are making it in. Um, and as the, the Roman church gradually becomes uh, more Latin, um, you have kind of the less and less dialogue between East and West. These Latin ideas make their way in, um, especially, you know, kind of this legal transactional religion. We'll see that with indulgences, but notions of purgatory. Well, you needed help then. Uh, and the help you were going to get to is those who had favor in, in Christ, uh, you know, presence, who could go to him on your behalf. Who better to go to than his mother or to others? And so you have, by Luther's time, this uh, association of saints um, with very specific things. I remember even as a child, if we would lose something when we were at my Grandma Johnston's house, she would get out the St. Jude prayer card. And, you know, you're kind of like, well, how about we just look for the thing? <laughs> um, but, you know, patron saint of lost causes. Um, if you've been to a church that does pet blessings, usually that's uh, associated with St. Francis, patron saint of, you know, animals or nature. Um my favorite is St. Lawrence, who's patron saint of cooks. Um, he was a deacon who was put to death, supposedly, by being roasted over a fire. Um, he was commanded by the governor to hand over the treasures of the church, and so he sold all the church's valuables and gave them to the poor and, and pointed to the poor and said, here are the treasures of the church. And so they barbecued him alive. And so um, to show the church has always had a sense of humor, he becomes patron saint of barbecues. Um, some legends have him saying in the middle of it, turn me over, I'm done on this side. Um but uh, so you you have often hospitals. Even, uh, there's a reason a lot of hospitals are named Saint Luke. Mm -hmm. um, Saint Luke, you know, supposedly having been. I mean, I think better than supposedly we can say having been a physician, although we use that it, it, not a physician like we would speak of a physician today. Um, practicing in medicine in the ancient world was a lot different than it would have been. Uh, you know, today you didn't go through as much specialized training. It, uh, you might be the person who just had the best sense for stuff in that area. Um, but so this makes its way into the church. It makes its way into the church and in the East um, and in the West, but kind of in very different ways in both. Um, and I think we'll probably stick with the West for today's purposes is what most of us are familiar with. 
Um, but so that you get to, in the Roman Catholic Church, this idea of saint definitely is connected to someone who, who did great deeds, um, usually showing some sort of great charity or um, enduring great poverty, uh, and who um, either suffered or died for the faith. This was a big thing, too, is as persecution passed, there was this vacuum of no more martyrs. And so people became voluntary martyrs, not meaning they went out and killed themselves, but they withdrew to the desert. They um, practiced asceticism, so they fasted um, more than was healthy. Or, you know, they um, you had flagellants who would, who would um, whip themselves. But this idea of the church still needs to have those willing to suffer in its presence, to keep its holy, itself holy. And so in the West it became... Um, you know, by the Middle Ages, the health of the church was located in the health of its extremely spiritual ones, which fed this um, desire for saints, right? This is to have a connection to um, people who could do what we don't necessarily think we could do. And it not necessarily all that different than maybe celebrity culture in our own day. Most of us realize we can't be an elite basketball player, but for that reason, we'll... Um, you know, have a favorite basketball player who we can identify with, or um, not all of us can be extremely wealthy, but we might um, look up to someone who has gone from rags to riches, uh, and, and so we can and we can do this with scientists, with with bankers, with athletes, with artists, musicians. Um, it's it's just a natural human proclivity. I would say. Yeah, I, I mean, when Barack Obama was um, campaigning for his first term, you'd often see. Um, I'm sure there's a technical name for those candles that are in glass. Um, yeah, no, like a cylinder glass where you, you oh, maybe like have like, Ray? yeah, like a um, picture it? of, you know, uh, Mary Guadalupe or whatever, that there would be pictures. You could buy them with Barack Obama, right? Uh -huh. He's going to be this, this kind of uh, salvific Davidic figure. Yeah. I like what you said there, the, the history of all of that. And we could probably spend, well, there's books written on this, of course, but, um, you know, brought to mind the catacombs that idea of um going to the grave sites of somebody um that was close to you we still do that today but these people very quickly the ones who died martyrs deaths that would be more akin to us going to votive candles going to um you know the world war ii or the vietnam memorial they in washington dc they died for a very right righteous or well in lutherans can even do this religiously i mean at a I, I personally have never felt a big draw to go to the quote-unquote Holy Land um, because it seems to be very dangerous. Um, and uh, given that, like, people are always talking about bombing it, you know, and stuff like that. But, I mean, there's good Lutherans who will go to the Holy Land. And not in a, I don't mean this in a bad way. No. But they feel a connection there. I don't mean here as, this as a means of grace, but a connection that, or it opens their eyes to some things they maybe hadn't recognized before as they see the terrain. Or, um, you know, Lutherans are as good as anyone for wanting to go to the Luther lands or, you know, to the places of the, the origins of their denominational yeah. history. And so the catacombs weren't really necessarily a place where Christians hid out um, or that's where they worshipped. Um, they would worship there as, you know, this is the place where someone died and has been taken. And the connection of the communion of yeah. saints. Yeah, and there's a, there's a lot of cool stuff that goes on there. And I think um, uh, that's why saints' days are often the date of their death probably also because they didn't know the date of their 
of people's birth. They didn't keep track of that as, as well as we'd like. Um, <clears throat> so you can see that already starting to become important. And then who, who's the holy ones, right? You talked about the people who died for the faith. And, and certainly those are going to be revered and, and those stories are going to be told and those are going to be edifying in, 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 the, in the church early on. Uh, but you get to the point where people aren't being killed for their death and for their faith anymore. And so it's the people maybe that gave up this life and lived a, a more monastic lifestyle or be the... And almost always extra or supra vocational lives. Yep. This is, you didn't usually get to be a saint by carrying out your vocation well. These were things that were done outside of your vocation or above and beyond it. And so it's starting to take a, a left turn here. And then uh, you could see um, being a virgin... Uh, being celibate was something holier than than somebody else, and that makes it ripe then for for uh, the Lutheran Reformation. At the same time, I think we should not, and and you did a good job of this. Not we don't shouldn't hold our noses up at um, at that practice ancient in that ancient practice. We should understand that and and be wary of. You know, I, I don't think that Mary is important because Christianity needed to have a female kind of balance to 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 uh, the male God. But it sure, certainly helped, right? It certainly was attractive uh, to to have that kind of balance. And that's not necessarily a wrong thing. I think the And, and the Lutherans female- can sometimes think it's funny to poke fun at um, devotion to Mary in a way that is, I would say, belligerent or disrespectful. Um, you read Luther, and you realize he would have not had much patience for that. No. He says second to Christ is right. is Mary, insofar as um, you know the the example that she gives, just as Peter gives an example in others. And I doubt I doubt many of those early reformers would have even. Can I uh, tell my joke I told in chapel once? W- and one second. Um, Greg that, told me not to tell it again. <laughs> um, that most of them would hold to the perpetual virginity of, of Mary. Yeah. And that's, that's a different topic, but, but um, it's, that fits with my joke. Okay, go ahead. Okay. So, um, they're about to stone the adulterous woman, you know, and Jesus is writing in the sand. And, uh, he famously says, he who has no sin cast the first stone stone, just blast the adulterous woman in the face. Jesus says, ma, <laughs> <laughs> I have heard that I one before. That, that, one. that is pretty good. Um, and then uh, to, to fast forward to today, I, I think you did a good job of saying we still have kind of a cultish worship stuff. It just has gone from the church and maybe virtue to success and popularity. But even within the church, we can say, here's the ranks, right? The the pastor or the person who volunteers every five seconds. Yeah. Or in our own circles, nothing. you know, this is, um, I'm very supportive of our educational system, but if if someone's gone, for instance, one of our preparatory schools, sometimes it can almost have the impression given, not purposeful, because I know plenty of people who are there and they would never demean other vocations. But when you're at a place that's intentionally preparing you to mm-hmm. consider ministry, um, the impression can be con- given, you know, y- you can choose to go on and study for ministry or you can settle for something else. And that's not an, an intentional impression that's given, but I've had plenty of students who have talked to me who almost feel as though they've taken a, a less God-pleasing route um, in, in looking to go into uh, non-ministerial vocations. Absolutely. And, and so even though we have the, maybe the right theology when it comes to sola gratia and, and have, not, can, have been pretty good about not falling into the work righteousness of the Roman Catholic Church with 
super irrigation and purgatory and um, you know infused grace and then you know you add your 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 works to 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 this uh, equation we have our own work righteousness we have our own law um, dominated kind of way of thinking and um, so we need to be careful there but at the same time maybe we can switch gears here unless you got something else on that point is well, I think it's still valuable for us to have Saints Days, and it's okay if your church is called St. John's. And and the reason for that if is— If I can jump, go ahead. can we go one—because yep. I think that's good to wrap up with. Sure. Um, can we go to—I just want to unpack, because you hit on it, that there's still these impulses, and they can be here in our circle. Maybe if we can talk a little bit about how that's not only a Christian impulse. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely within Christianity as well, there is a celebrity culture um, where we can Im- imbue certain— um, musicians or influencers Tele- or televangelists. Yeah. Yep. And this can happen even in Lutheranism. We tend to do it on a less of a big scale um, just because we're not as good at it. But that's a really, our, our, sometimes I think our exegetes are put above the historian or the, sure. the or, or the guy who can preach or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, it, and, and we'll get it even sometimes with something as stupid as a podcast where someone will reach out and, do reach out we love it but sometimes they ask us something where you know mike and i will just look at each other and go they don't realize we're dumb do they yeah. like, <laughs> like <laughs> we thought it made it very clear yeah. that we're idiots but. Um, but that's a really good question but i don't know the answer to that um but it's not something that's only a christian impulse i just maybe if we wrap up with what's the place of it in lutheranism in a positive way at the end but um i mean the world still has its saints our culture still has it's saints, whether that be political, um, social, cultural, um, authors. Um, just think of as a kid the posters you put on your wall. And and that's not to say, well, that's idolatry. You always have the one smart aleck who's like, oh, so-and-so is my idol. I'm like, you're not supposed to have idols. Yes, that's not what I mean when I say I like Barry Sanders. Um, <laughs> but... Um, it's a it's a given to want to latch on. I think, but even if you the most, wanted to worship one football player, it would definitely be Barry Sanders. It'd be a good one, yeah. But I mean, even the most hardened atheist might have a Christopher Hitchens or a Richard yeah. Dawkins, um, to which they look who they want to put on a pedestal. And just think of how much it can set back a cause or a movement or a team or a sport when one of those exalted ones falls, yeah. right? And I think especially in someone's fall or the loss of someone we see what we imbued them with beyond what any, you know, sim- recognizing they were a simple human being. And, uh, you know, as in his confessions that Augustine says, you, you realize to the, the extent to which you appreciated God's gift by how you react when it's taken away. And if you react poorly when it's taken away, it means you never really understood it was a gift, right? Yeah. Um, but you had made it in, into a God or an idol. So I, I just, I want us to understand, too, this is not only a Christian thing that we do. In fact, with the Twitterverse and Facebook and Instagram, um, all of those have their own saints. And all of us have within us the temptation to want to present ourselves as saints, right? There's a piety that goes with those things. And so we find the group that we want to be saints within, and then you post accordingly, or you take pictures accordingly, or you share the right things or you, um, you know, you, you put the right profile picture up. And so to understand, this is not only something that comes up within Christianity. In fact, you look at any religion, and this has developed, you know, you look at the tensions between Sunni and, and Shia Muslims, and many of it will boil down to this, you know, Sunnis would be more like the, the Christian fundamentalists of our 
world, I hate to use that term, but, you know, anti-image, or maybe not fundamental, well, it goes with fundamentalism, but uh, um, iconoclasts, um, but there's there's this impulse within people. So this, having come into the church, is not like um, this totally, like, aberrant thing that happened. Rather, this is an entirely human thing that happened, and it's something that gets fought against from very early on. And, I mean, we even see it in the New Testament when... Uh, is it Paul and Barnabas are preaching and they want him, they declare him to be, uh, who is it, Zeus and Zeus Hermes? Zeus and Hermes, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's this wanting to identify someone with, uh, with something more than what they are. Yeah, I think I thought about that quite a bit and I'm not, I would love to have more time to research this and, and think about the great epic stories of every culture and there's going to be certain parallels where you're going to find there's going to be some sort of Davidic messianic uh, to use Christian terminology figure um, there's going to be the great moral questions there's going to be um, uh, there's also going to be um, well think about any story of any culture even the culture of of atheism or fascism or wherever where that where there is not a, a god in this story but the state kind of sometimes yeah. becomes the god and you have um you have rules follow and be a true believer you're going to have your zealots you're going to have your doubters you're going to have your evangelists you're going to have your arch villains there's yeah, always going to be a satan there's always going to be somebody who is going to be portrayed as uh, as satan um you know america's the great satan in a lot of countries right and and not only that if but if we are going to be a satan though it is in keeping with American exceptionalism to be the great one. <laughs> the the and, great Satan. I mean, yes. really, a good put down for would be, us would be like a America's like a mediocre Satan. Right, like little devil. Because that would bug us. <laughs> like we'll show you. <laughs> um, and there's there's also going to be um, it's just so very very religious where there's going to be maybe back to evangelism. Right, you have to. Uh, make this case, and if you're not on board, there's going to be serious ramifications for the wor world, and so there's always going to be an apocalyptic kind of event. I don't, yeah. I don't care what, I don't care what you're talking about. If you're talking environmentalism, or if you're talking about whatever, and you're going to have the people in the middle who are like, "This is good, but let's chill out," you know, "Let's use reason," and there's going to be people who um, are going to say, um, "You're not a true believer. You're not, you know, you're." you're Republican in name only or whatever. And there's, there's, I, I think, um, maybe to wrap this up a little bit, there is <clears throat> when the heroes, the saints back to the original point are put up there and they are then stripped of their holiness because they were, um, you know, turned out that this leader was corrupt or it turns out that uh, you know, maybe Darwin didn't have everything figured out or whatever. There will be those who will defend those people to the end. Yep. Instead of being able to say, yeah, he's, she was or he was a flawed human being, but he or she still said some good things. There's kind of an unreasonableness uh, of that kind of zealousy, and it's true of everything. And that's maybe that I don't know if you're right about this. Well, I was just going to say, I think along those lines, I mean, there's two types of literature that human beings have always loved, and that's hagiography and Apocalypticism, and I, mean, I know you can say hagiography or however. I'm, I'm going to say it my way. Hagiography, um, but you know, hagiography is this temptation to um, write stuff that really plays up a um, an individual, whether historical or in fiction. And then apocalypticism is um, this wanting to explain how it's all going to end. And 
and both of those oftentimes will center around saints. But think about how disappointed you may have been at some point in your life when you read a biography of someone, and then you uh, you learn just how human they are. I mean, it we are we are drawn whether it's George Washington or um, you know you pick. I mean, hopefully you're not reading like a Hitler biography, <laughs> hoping to only hear good things because he was kind of bad, mm-hmm. right? But um, but we're drawn to that type of literature. And some of the earliest human accounts we find are hagiography about great kings or, mm-hmm. or, or someone else. We want to have human beings um, to look up to. And maybe if we can transition, I'm going to give this, I'm going to throw this out there and I'm going to let you take over this transition, Mike. Um, the confessions recognize that. Um, but they will say, for instance, we still observe um, the days of the saints because, for instance, take Peter. We can look at him and see even he could be forgiven after he had denied Christ. Um, what Lutheranism at its best does, and I think what the Bible does, I mean, you read the patriarchs, and they could be on a Jerry Springer show, but they're also the patriarchs, is to say, you know what, you're right. There are people that you need to be able to look to for examples, but then the Bible and Lutheranism are like, but you got to look to them for examples, not just these you know, superhuman things. Right. And I think that was a kind of a transition that I was going to make as well is, uh, to say Christianity at its best purposely juxtaposes that and flips everything else upside down and says, these are kind of like the worst characters and that are our saints, right? It is a theology of the cross there. I don't have to defend Peter. You know, I will, if someone's like Peter, you know, whatever, I'm like, well, you know, he kind of turned it around or whatever, you know. Sophie was defending Thomas. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And that comes from uh, a place of grace as well. And so there's a lot of times in the Old Testament, you're like, I didn't need to know that. I didn't, I didn't need to know. About, Judah did what? I, I did not need to know that. Wait, so Noah got off the ark and got hammered? I did not need naked? to know that. Why was he naked? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of unanswered questions there, right? And so uh, I don't need to know that. Perhaps, perhaps. I would like to know why he was naked, though. For no other reason. Uh, for no other reason than It was, God's, like, really hot out? God's grace, right? So um, I think that's at its best. And when we take that out... When we take out the saints... Maybe he was washing his clothes. Could be. If we take the saints out, we lose that, and then we end up being exactly what we hate, and we start telling these stories as, um, oh, you can be like, you can preach like Paul. And where does this happen the most, I think, in in Christian churches? Right. Sunday school. Yeah. Yeah. This is, Sunday school can just ruin these accounts. Well, even just the flood in general, right? Like, yeah. I mean, you know, Noah <laughs> built the arky arky. Yeah. Yeah. And I, he got yeah, wasted, he was, wasted. He was not singing that when the right. floodwaters came up. Um, and so I think that, that it really is kind of a, a unique thing for, for Christians to say, we named our church after somebody who was a complete and utter outward failure but by the grace of God was made a saint. And those apostles specifically are the foundation um, of this church. And and there's plenty of times where, as a pastor, you could say to somebody who's doubting that they're forgiven, be like, do you know what Abraham did? Uh (laughs) Do you have any idea what Abraham did? Uh Um, uh, 
I mean, let's let's just look at the text a little bit here and figure, please, uh, there's always one thing bigger than our sin, and that is God's love. And to see that being played out on the front sign of the church is kind of cool. Yeah. So why uh, why keep these minor festivals that we have? If you open your hymnal, if you, uh, you know, in a Lutheran church, um, I think they're... LSB I'm not as familiar with, but mo- somewhere in the front usually is a calendar yep. for the year, and it'll have major festivals, Christmas, Easter, Ascension, mm-hmm. um, but then it'll have these minor festivals. I'm sure you talk about this in worship, Mike. Why have those minor festivals? Why uh, why maybe transfer them to a Sunday sometimes and preach on them? What, uh, why didn't we just get rid of that as kind of like the Reform did as the, kind of the old papist way of doing things? Yeah, and I think we, we, we talk about a conservative Reformation where we say, we're not a sect. I mean, the, the Lutheran Church painstakingly just reminds everybody in their confessions, we're not doing anything new. We're not a sect. We're not something different. Um, we are just criticizing um, what the church has gotten wrong. And it's a testimony to the one universal church. But it's also a humility to say, um, we don't have everything figured out here. And if we don't have a good reason to say that this is wrong then we're going to keep it, right? I mean, there's some humility and wisdom there that we don't always have in the modern world, especially in America, where we're kind of built on, we are new. We built everything up from the ground up uh, and, uh, you know, making everything perfect from from the get-go. Well, hold on for a second. There is, there is to be truly um, open-minded is to learn from the past. And, and maybe one thought, and I'll go back to you, is... Um, we talk a lot about the incarnational nature of God. A God in, in history means a God in my life right now. He's not a God up there distant. Those saints' days or those commemorations of events are historical people in historical places. And it's good for us to have that. In the same way, it's good for us to say, here, you go visit um, Independence Hall in Philadelphia. Yep. <laughs> this is history. This is how you learn history. It's good for us to say, don't forget about Simon and Jude. Um, and the calendar helps us. It keeps us from forgetting about those things. And when a pastor is forced to think about that, that person, that event, that text, um, that's when they can really do some, I think, some good sermon work and say, how do maybe I didn't really think about Philip as much as I should have. And that character, Philip is going to be like somebody in their congregation. And then they are able to relate that in ways that maybe they weren't forced into when they were constantly preaching on themes. Yep. And I think that's, you know, a lot of people want topical or thematic sermons and really the minor festivals deliver a, a nice way to do that and have it be biblically grounded. Another thing I talk about in worship class, too, is the idea of a calendar. Uh, we are people in time, and we can't escape it. And so we have a calendar. It's usually driven by the school year, right? So you have a feeling about fall. Um, you can think of, if I said February, you think Valentine's Day. If I said January, you probably think cold and Super Bowl, uh, or used to be the Super Bowl. If you think March, it's St. Patrick's Day. Um, you know, uh, July, it's going to be July 4th, Independence, rah, rah, America. We have our calendar, and that informs what's important to us, how we decorate our house, how we feel, how we think. And so to have that kind of countercultural church thing where you are following the life of Christ, but then also to have these kinds of uh, once in a while, that day was 
a day when we think about St. Peter and Paul, or the confession of Peter, or the conversion of Paul. And I wish we had more of that feeling because we did in the past. And that's a way to kind of put both calendars together. And we're not saying they compete. We're not saying it's wrong to have, you know, a big July 4th festival. I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, you know, what would be cool? The, you know, a remembrance of the uh, presentation of the Augsburg Confession. Right. Well, and I think that that too, um, you know, Mike, sometimes you and I will talk about what do we miss most about the parish. And I think up there, high on my list is living the church calendar in a mm-hmm. way that I just don't now. I'm, I'm still in it. I hear preaching. I sing the hymns. But that really but we used shaped to know, my year. We used to know what Sunday it was after Pentecost right now. Now yeah. I'd have to look it up. And you were thinking about the lessons for that week, for the hymns, and you had been in a succession of doing that. And uh, it, uh, I mean, that was, that was very helpful for my own personal piety, and I think that's something, um, you know, if you want to, help your people be um, more into the liturgy as pastors, um, really do che- teach that church calendar because it helps to draw them in so that, that they see. Um, I mean, I used to, in catechism, we would have to go through that, why this color, what, why this day. And I don't know how many parents I would have me um, have come up to me after we had done that lesson in the next few months and say, my kid won't start t- stop talking about yep. this color or yep. that thing. And they said, I'd never realized that before. Or, and kids you know, love it when they know something that the yeah, parents don't. Yeah, or this don't. collect, why did we pray that prayer today? And I think that that is helpful. Um, maybe, Mike, too, then, we have, uh, we talk about saints. We hit on it at the beginning. Um, but maybe just to drive home a little bit more, we both said we like that translation, saints, um, for holy ones or holy people in the New Testament. Uh, what is, what's the import of that? Why is it important as a podcast that is about letting the bird fly and, and being gospel-driven, um, centered in God's declaration of justification for the sinner and absolution. Uh, well, for our listeners, when they hear that word saint, what, sh- what, what in your view should be the first thing that comes to mind, and, and why is it important that something come to mind for them? Well, I think it's right away, I, I like to think about it as a title, and I don't want to go too far on that, but um, the, the declaration of me as a saint um, that can be a little bit too forensic for some people's ears. What is your but, status? Yeah. But this is my status before God, and it's because of Jesus Christ, and there was no way I was going to do it on my own. Like, there was no hope at all. Um, I could live a celibate life. I could do all of these things. Well, I couldn't, but it's never going to... I was going to make a joke <laughs> for myself. It wasn't appropriate. Then. It was... It was <laughs> It's just not going to work, right? And so it's a justification thing. But then to see these saints that have gone before um, and to see them fail, to see them picked up, to see them actually do wonderful, amazing things by grace. grace, um, In many instances, the fun thing is to see, you can tell they had no clue they had it in them. Right. And it's, I'm a part of that group. I'm, I'm not saying... St. Peter's up here and I'm down here. Right. I'm saying, I'm like St. Peter. And that's why the Te Deum is so great. Right. And it's it's really, really cool. And, and back to that church calendar thing too, oh, once in a while, uh, you know, if you're a parish pastor, maybe you want to start it off. Here, here's a good way to start it off. Um, you know, you got Sunday school going back and, and Sunday, uh, on Sundays in September, and uh, you transfer for the last Sunday in September because it's always a Pentecost, whatever. Um, do St. Michael and all angels. That's a great one. Because otherwise, you're not going to get angels a lot in the pericope. Um, you will, but it's not going to be 
the center focus. And um, to, to have that, to have the kids come up and get blessed, um, the families will love it. It's an easy way to transition into that. And I, we did, I, you know, this is maybe a little controversial, but um, then it would have been in October. I think it's October 14th, I want to say. Uh, but Holy Cross Day, right? Uh, is, is, I mean, that has a Lutheran tradition. It has a Lutheran tradition, and we have Holy Cross Lutheran Church and all that kind of stuff. It is holy. It is set apart. We're not venerating it any more than we are anything else that is holy and set apart. Um, but we, we're not going to go the opposite direction and say, um, it's just a piece of wood. Who cares, right? right. Well, you don't live that, your way that way. You, would, you wouldn't go to um, some great... Um, <clears throat> landmark in in american history and just be like who cares just a dumb bunch of bricks whatever no it's a profound thing um and even more so for for the cross for the angels for the apostles and even even you know some things uh, a remembrance of uh like we said before the reformation or the augsburg confession that was always, I, I love the presentation of the augsburg uh, confession i mean and you don't have to get into you know, you don't have to bore them to death about the, you know, all the history of it. You can say, this is a confession of the church, um, and it's no Nicene Creed. <laughs> you know, we're not talking as ecumenical, but it was meant to be a confession of the church to say, this is what the Bible says, and and you too confess, right? And and to think about, uh, you know, what Jesus said, you know, who do you say I am, Peter, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's, it's just good. And, and maybe think about Peter a little bit too, um, especially because... I always have in my mind, it's almost like two people. I have, I have post-Pentecost Peter and I have pre-Pentecost Peter. And the Peter that I see having the dream, um, you know, uh, take up and eat, um, the one kind of dealing with Paul and the one who is following Jesus um, before his death are almost two different people. And that informs me about myself and it informs me about my people too, that, that sometimes we, we can be zealots about some things and, and maybe too much so. And then sometimes we can be more passive and maybe too much so. Um, but to say St. Peter, Holy Peter, and to see myself as holy and saint as well is just really, it's a grace thing. I mean, we can turn it into a law thing, but ultimately it's supposed to be a grace thing. Yeah, and I think that's the the big thing I appreciate about it too. Is it it really is a thumb in the eye um, of our human way of thinking about religion, of uh, self justification, um, of our attempts to turn to the law for what it can't give. That we gather and and uh, you know wherever you're gathering, uh, God through His preacher says to you to the saints of God in Milwaukee or mm-hmm. the saints of God in Minneapolis, and He means you. Um, yeah, and the, the congregational aspect of that, the broader congregation of all the saints, but then that local congregation yeah. is kind of something we maybe miss. And I think some people might get upset, well, that cheapens the term, uh, only if Christ's blood is cheap, <laughs> right? Uh, but that this is the product of Christ's blood. This is your identity, which is really, isn't that what comes out in the invocation too, where we gather as the children of God in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then we are declared to be the children of God. So I see in that word God's declaration of our justification but also just a reminder as you as you said early on mike that we are sinner saints um that this is not a status that we grow in um in a value sense right we we might grow into it but we don't become more or less saint based on our works um but rather our works are a result of that declaration of our sainthood in god's sight (coughs) that being said 
We're not an ahistorical people. We recognize that God works through means, and he has done fantastic things throughout history through people, and we don't want to diminish that at all either. Um, and so we are a tr- church rooted in history, and we remember that. And I think that is... um. We're, Joel Davis is going to come on and talk dystopian fiction with us sometime. I, we just got to schedule it, but I had to talk to him and he's interest, interested. But almost always what happens in dystopian fiction when a, a society loses its rudder is it forgets its past, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you've ever seen The the Giver, that movie, or read the novel, um, there's the receiver of memory who's the one guy who gets to remember how things were before. And uh, the fear is... You don't want to remember too much of what was before because for this new thing to exist. Or 1984 where, you know, Winston's supposed to rewrite stories from the past. And I think there's a danger in that with the church too. Um, is because when you forget your past, you you forget your future. Right? Your future is rooted in your past. If you don't know who you are and where you came from and what you're made for, you forget um, what you're supposed to be. And, uh, and I think remembering the saints connects us to that communion of saints we confess in the creeds, um, that those who have gone before us are more like us than we realize, um, that we are looking forward to a reunion with them, that our Christ is their Christ, that their problems are our problems, that at the end of the day we might have um, you know, cell phones and heated seats and central air, but um, ultimately... Uh, sin and grace is still what the the story is about. And so I think um, those minor festivals are a great opportunity for that. It's a great opportunity for pastors to dig into the history, why these people, who were they, what happened to them, where do they come up in the scriptures, and really unpack things in a topical way too. Um, but then to recognize that temptation in us and in others um, to want to make false saints as well, to want to make ourselves false saints um, which is really what self-justification is all about. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint myself up. You know, easiest way to tell a divorce is coming on Facebook is when a, a couple starts posting a ton of, like, schmaltzy stuff about themselves, and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they're in trouble. <clears throat> they're trying to paint up their marriage. Well, how do you get to the point of painting up your marriage? You get to that point um, by not being happy with it, by knowing that it has issues, right? And then the, the inclination is to paint it up, uh, to paint up our past. Um, but that... Religious impulse to have saints is is something that um, will show up elsewhere if you don't do it well um, in, in Christianity. There's, there's a vacuum there. Right. That will be, yeah. And so what Christianity does to fill that vacuum is to say, um, all right, you can have your saints, but you get them as they were. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like sometimes I'd have people, <clears throat> and I'll be quiet after this, but for funerals they'd say, well, can we have a eulogy? And I would always, you know, it's most mostly in Lutheranism. That's not a custom in Lutheranism. So... Um, but I would say, okay, you can, but I get equal time. And they'd say, well, what do you mean? I said, well, if we're going to paint him as he was, mm-hmm. right? And and uh, so you you can give one side, I'll give the other. And that that thought, you know, terrified people of, <laughs> well, why would you want to say any ill? But what Christianity sa- says is, Bob's in heaven because he was a saint, but he wasn't a saint because he was perfect. We all know full well stories about Bob. And you're going to tell stories about Bob at the wake that are anything but saintly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that impulse then uh, in a healthy way can be expressed by remembering um, people for who they were and remembering that who they were is is also still who they are, um, even if they've departed, which mm-hmm. is uh, those who have been declared children of God. Yeah. And Bob, Bob is the worst. Um, we'll close on this. 
let me plug All Saints Day. Right? Good one. Um, so I we would do last Sunday in October, we're going to do Reformation. First Sunday in uh, November, we're going to transfer All Saints. And <clears throat> the reason for that that, that, that puts a bow on the whole thing, because you're talking about uh, you are a saint, you are a part of this, um, you know, the holy martyrs, um, the saints who have gone before, your status is one with them to specifically remember um, the people who passed away in your congregation um, and in the church in general that past year, not to pray to them or about them, but to thank God for them and thank God for um, their salvation in them and to say we are one uh, with those who have gone before and uh, not even death can break apart this, um, this body of Christ that kind of puts it all together, I think. And so we, we look, oh, All Saints, what do you mean? All Saints Catholic High School? No, I mean, All Saints Day. That should be that should be a big we deal all for saints us. Like, all yeah. of us are saints. And it's really a memorable thing. And, and it's one of those, again, another thing, if your congregation's maybe not thinking this way, um, this is a time when you can say, you know what, I want you to, you know, this is a good time to uh, put some flowers in for old grandpa smith and um we'll mention him in this prayer uh the com commemoration of the sa the saints who have departed uh, it's a very moving thing and very often that happened in my context uh veterans day was a big deal in 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 my community and uh the ladies auxiliary which was still around like this old yeah. you know world war ii kind of korean war uh people uh generation and they would often have it a little bit early and it would be on the sunday where we would have all saints in the commemoration or i should say before when we used to do the old way of doing it we had uh uh saints triumphant which is a specific sunday unique to presbyterians and ironically the wisconsin synod um <laughs> would would fall in our in our hymnal that is uh, on its way out. Would fall on Veterans Day, that weekend, and um, so they were already going thinking about these things, um, thinking about those who had gone before. Even though Memorial Day is different than Veterans Day, it kind of meshes together in our minds sometimes. And and it was a it was a powerful. It was always a very powerful Sunday there, and we would often have people that hadn't been to church in a while but this was kind of they would come into town for this and so they would go to church first and then go to the meal afterwards down the street uh for the veterans day uh meal that the ladies were putting on it was a powerful 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 thing and it was very a great opportunity for some great hymns but also for me to just lay it out this is why you're a saint yep and this is why you're not a saint <laughs> and this is why you're a sinner but a saint also and so it was it was really cool and and to connect that of course with then freedom, right? I'm not. I'm not worried. Looking over my shoulder about whether I'm good enough or not. I. I this is my status. And so, you know, I never said it in the pulpit, but I could have. I should have said, "Let the bird fly." Every evening when the sun goes down, get my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk. I'm just a tank. I say I'm up. Another round, we'll set them up. Another round, we'll set them up. Another round, one more round won't get me down. 
and I said, honey, honey, I don't care what